If Jesus wants lots and lots of people to believe in him, and he does, then it is a fair question to ask, after Jesus rose from the dead, why didn't he stay on this earth longer? Why didn't he stay on this earth and show his resurrected body to all kinds of people? Why didn't he go on world tours for years and show those nail-marked hands and feet to people all over the world? Well, one answer is that people who do not believe in Jesus' resurrection are not going to believe it, even if he does appear to them. They are going to pass it off as some kind of illusion or trick. But the more important answer for us who do believe in Jesus' resurrection is that he wanted to give us the opportunity to be his witnesses in this world. He wanted those who do believe to have the privilege to go into all the world and tell other people about his death for our sins and his resurrection to give us life. That is the privilege that our Savior wanted us to have. And it is what we do every time we tell a neighbor or a friend or one of our children about what Jesus has done for them. It is the work we do whenever we support outreach and evangelism efforts here at Trinity with our time and our efforts. It is work we support with every dollar that we drop into those plates because that money goes to proclaim Christ here and all over the world. And it is work we do when we quietly say prayers for missionaries at night before we lay our heads down on our pillows. Now, sometimes Christians today can get caught a little bit doing what the disciples did on the original Ascension Day, just sort of staring off into the distance and losing sight of that command. And you make no mistake, the Lord does want our eyes up on heaven, but as we wait for our Savior, he also wants our eyes out on the world looking for opportunities to witness for our Savior. And it is work that we do gladly, thankful for the privilege. A lesson from Acts, chapter 1. I wrote my first book, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began doing and teaching until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he presented himself alive to the apostles with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and told them things about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father promised, which you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they were together with him, they asked, Lord, is this the time when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said these things, he was taken up while they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he went away. Suddenly two men in white clothes stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The word of the Lord. Because we cannot see Jesus with our eyes, it can be tempting, and sometimes Christians do fall into this temptation, to live our lives as though Jesus were unable to see us at all. Because we do not see him, sometimes we live like irresponsible children, treat the house when mom and dad are away on vacation. We feel like we can start to 
treat our neighbor, treat ourselves any way we want. Maybe we feel like we can even treat the words of our Savior any way we want. That when they are inconvenient or hard to follow, we can just brush them aside and follow other voices instead. But none of that is what the Holy Spirit has made us to be, and none of that is how God wants us to live our lives. The Holy Spirit drowned those dangerous attitudes in the waters of our baptism, and when he did, he raised us up to live a new life. It is a life with a new attitude. It is an attitude that cherishes all of the amazing grace that God has shown us in his Son, Jesus Christ. And because it does, it is an attitude that wants to please God in every way, with everything that we do in our lives. And it is an attitude that clings to every word of our Savior. That is what God has made us to be, and that is how we live, even while we do not see our Savior. A lesson from Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him by being rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith just as you were taught, while you overflow in faith with thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, which are in accord with human tradition, namely the basic principles of the world, which are not in accord with Christ. For all the fullness of God's being dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been brought to fullness in him. Christ is the head over every ruler and authority. You are also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done by human hands, in the putting off of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ, when you are buried with Christ in baptism. And in baptism you are also raised with him through the faith worked by the God who raised Christ from the dead. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ by forgiving all our trespasses. God erased the record of our debt brought against us by his legal demands. This record stood against us, but he took it away by nailing it to the cross. After disarming the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them by triumphing over them in Christ. The word of the Lord. There are four books in the Bible devoted to the most important events, the earthly life of our Savior Jesus. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of those four Gospels, three of them end with the story of Jesus' ascension. And that could leave the reader with the impression that Jesus' ascension is the end of his story. But it's not. The story of what Jesus did while he was in this world to take our sins away, his holy life, his death on the cross, that story is complete. But Jesus' work and his story is far from over. Because after he ascended, Jesus sat down at the right hand of his Father, and he went to work with all imaginable power ruling over this world. And Jesus' main concern, as he continues to work in heaven with all power, his main concern is us, you and me. The thing at the front of Jesus' mind and heart, as he works with all power in heaven, is his holy Christian church, all believers in him. Now this can be hard for us to understand because based on the appearances of what 
is going on around us in this world, it looks like Jesus' church in this world is on the ropes in many parts of the world. It is persecuted and put down in many places. It is ignored and ridiculed and roadblocked in others. But God's word declares, and so God himself promises, absolutely everything happening in this world is happening for the eternal good of Jesus' church. Because it is for her that he still works with all power. A lesson from Ephesians chapter 1. This is why, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Christ fully. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, just how rich his glorious inheritance among the saints is, and just how surpassingly great his power is for us who believe. It is as great as the working of his mighty strength, which God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and above every name that is given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God also placed all things under his feet and made him head over everything for the church. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. Before Jesus ascended, he gave his apostles everything they needed to go out into the world and effectively witness his message of salvation. First, Jesus gave his apostles the knowledge that they needed. He personally taught them the heart and soul of Scripture, what God's Word is all about, what everything in the Bible points to. And then secondly, Jesus gave them the promise that not long after his ascension, he was going to send them help. He was going to send them power and more knowledge in the form of the Holy Spirit after he ascended into heaven. And it didn't take long, only 10 days for Jesus to fulfill that promise he made. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit did come with power. And as tongues of fire rested on their heads, the apostles proclaimed with power the message of Jesus' salvation, bringing 3,000 more to faith. So before Jesus left them, he gave his apostles knowledge, and he promised and then delivered power from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus still equips his followers today with those gifts that we need to witness effectively for him. The basic knowledge we need, the central message of Scripture, and the power of the Holy Spirit is still contained in this one simple, sweet sentence that our Savior spoke. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. See, right in that sentence is the center, the heart and soul of the entire word of God. That forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead, and everyone who repents and turns to Jesus receives that forgiveness. That is the knowledge we need. And the power of the Holy Spirit is right there in that message too. 
Because Jesus promises whenever that message is proclaimed, the Holy Spirit is working with power to create faith in human hearts. And just as he did for his first disciples long ago, Jesus still gives us all the knowledge and all the power we need to be his witnesses. The Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 24. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He said to them, This is what is written, and so it must be. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I am sending you what my Father promised, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He led them out as far as the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually in the temple courts, praising and blessing God. Amen. There are a few truths I would like you to please consider and then see what conclusion you can draw when you put all of these truths together. Truth number one, your Savior God loves you and knows everything about you in perfect detail. He knows everything you like and everything that you don't like. Truth number two, that same God who loves you and knows you in detail created this entire universe in six normal days. All the galaxies and solar systems, including the Earth that we live on, incredibly complex, which of course just is a pinprick of a pinprick on the canvas of the entire universe. That loving God who knows you perfectly and can create with just the power of his word, when his son returned to heaven 2,000 years ago, he said that he was going to prepare mansions for his people. Now based on all those truths, what can you tell about the mansion that will be waiting for you in heaven? And these places in heaven that Jesus promises us, these are not a mirage in the desert. They are not a treasure hidden somewhere that nobody can find. This place in heaven that is waiting for you, that Jesus has been preparing for 2,000 years, is real. And not only is it real, but the, the way to that mansion in heaven is clearly marked out. The ascended Jesus himself is the way to the mansions in heaven. He is the only way. And anyone who tries to follow a different way is going to be shut out. But he is not only the only way to these places in heaven, he is the perfect way to the mansions of heaven. He is the way that never crumbles and never leads you astray, and he is leading you there safely and surely to the mansion that he is preparing just for you. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 14. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. You know where I am going, and you know the way. Lord, we don't know where you're going, Thomas replied. So how can we know the way? 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you would also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The Gospel of our Lord. We are now waiting for Jesus to come back and take us to those beautiful places in heaven that he is preparing for us. And while we are waiting for Jesus to come back, we want to remain connected to our Savior by faith. Because God teaches in his word that if you are not connected to Jesus by faith, then you are not connected to God's grace. You are not connected to the forgiveness that Jesus won for you with his death on the cross. And not only that, the Bible also teaches that if you are not connected to Christ by faith, you cannot do good works, things that are pleasing in the eyes of your Heavenly Father. Being connected to Christ by faith, however, turns all of that around in the exact opposite direction. If you are connected to Christ by faith, you receive the grace that comes to you through Jesus' work. You receive the forgiveness of sins that he won for you. You are spiritually alive and you can grow. Not only that, but when you are connected to Jesus by faith, you are able to do things that are good and pleasing in the eyes of your Heavenly Father. And it's actually even better than that. Even the good things you do that the world never notices, that nobody else ever gives you any recognition for, or little things that people shrug off as being not very important, your Heavenly Father cherishes them all. They are all wonderful in His eyes through Jesus Christ, His Son. And this is why Jesus uses the picture of Himself as a vine and us as branches. Either a branch is connected to the vine or it's not. And if a branch is connected to the vine, then it is naturally alive. And it is going to produce good fruit that is pleasing. It just will. On the other hand, a branch that is not connected to the vine is by nature dead and it cannot produce anything good and eventually it will be gathered up and burned. So our connection to our Savior Jesus means everything to us. Our faith in him is the most important thing there is in this world. Now, if God wanted to, because he can do anything, he could use any method he wanted to to connect people and keep them connected to their Savior Jesus. But in his word, God tells us of one way, and just one way, that the Holy Spirit connects people to Jesus and keeps them connected. And that is through the good news of what Jesus has done for us. The gospel that we receive in God's word, and in his sacraments, including the Lord's Supper that we are about to receive. But while we are waiting for Jesus, we value that gospel, the good news of our Savior, more highly than anything else in this world because it is our key to staying connected to Christ and to the eternal life we find in him. The Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he is going to cut off. And he prunes every branch that does bear fruit, so that it will bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I am going to remain in you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Likewise, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
The one who remains in me and I in him is the one who bears much fruit, because without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you continue to bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The Gospel of our Lord. Maybe the best thing about Ascension Day is getting to hear what the angels said to the disciples on the top of that mountain. That Jesus, who left them that day, would be coming back in the same way they saw him go into heaven. Of course, there will be a few differences between Jesus' return on the last day and the day of ascension. One is that when Jesus comes back on the last day, it's not going to be just the eyes of a few disciples that see him, as they did on ascension day but it will be the eyes of every creature in this world that fix on him. And for the people who trusted in Jesus, that day of his return is going to be one of glory and joy because when Jesus does come back in the way he left, he is going to be bringing us blessings that are so wonderful that our puny little human brains cannot even begin to wrap themselves around what Jesus is going to bring us. The Bible calls it a new heaven and a new earth. And it tells us that in this new heaven and new earth, none of the things that bother us in this world are ever going to bother us again. No more death or mourning or hunger or pain. The Bible says those things are part of this old world, this fallen order of things that is affected, infected by sin. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring us heaven and earth that have no more sin or any of those ill effects of sin, but only the joy of perfection. And one of the things that is going to make heaven so joyful is that God is going to dwell directly with his people, right in the middle of them with his full glory and his full presence. So God is no longer going to come to us hidden behind the pages of a book, water, bread, and wine. But we will see his face without any of it hidden or concealed. Praise be to Jesus Christ who comes and makes everything new and everything perfect for us forever. Our ascended Lord assures us this will happen. He says the words are trustworthy and true. A lesson from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea no longer existed. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. And from the throne, I heard a loud voice that said, Look, God's dwelling is with people. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no death or sorrow or crying or pain, because the former things have passed away. The one who was seated on the throne said to me, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, for these words are trustworthy and true. The word of the Lord.